Restaurant Unstoppable episode 731 with Dr. Kara Farley. The number one thing you can do. So I think, you know, if I closed my eyes, right, and woke up tomorrow, and if I could make every single person in the world do this, is stay home if you're sick or if you've been exposed. That right there is all we need to do. You know, you could get rid of everything else. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Margin Edge is the only restaurant management system to combine automatic invoice processing with POS and accounting integrations. This improves financial performance, visibility, and efficiency. Their own CEO owns two restaurants, and he personally has felt the impact of COVID-19. And as a result, Margin Edge has decided the best way to support their network is by giving their full platform free for new customers until September. To learn more, go to me.margineedge.com slash restaurant hyphen unstoppable. Let me tell you about a little green book that will change your life if you're anything like me and your strengths are with people, not numbers. It's called QuickBooks for Restaurants, a bookkeeping and accounting guide by Zach Weiner. This is the back office restaurant accounting guide you've been searching for, and trust me, it will change your life. Ultimately, Zach shows owners and operators how to create the accurate financials and reportings that will enable them to make better informed, data-driven decisions to learn more and to get a cost of Zach's book, head to ZachWeiner.com slash unstoppable. That's Z-A-C-W-E-I-N-E-R.com slash unstoppable. And if you use that link, my listeners will save 50% off a one-on-one consulting call, but you got to use that link or use promotional code. Don't stop. Find out why Toast POS is the number one recommended restaurant POS system on Restaurants Unstoppable. If you're going to survive this upcoming recession, you have got to adapt. And you can't just adapt. You have to adapt fast. With Toast's cloud-based restaurant POS, your system will update to evolve along with changing industry trends and guest expectations. To learn more, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, for a limited time, you will get one month free POS software, three months of free digital ordering tools, and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000, but you've got to use our links. What up, Unstoppable? So we have an awesome show for you today. Before I tell you what we got in store, I got to remind you that Toast is a CPA, cost per acquisition sponsor, meaning we don't get paid unless you use our link and you don't get the up to $2,000 worth of incentives. Um, unless you click that link. So head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable or go to the show notes and find the banner to get that up to $2,000 worth of incentives and shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com uh, so I know that you use that link and that you reached out to Toast. Uh, so I know I sound like a broken record, but it's we really want to make sure you guys get these incentives and this is what you have to do. So stop the podcast right now, go to those links, get on their radar, let them know that you came 
to them toast uh, from Restaurant Unstoppable. All right. So today we have Dr. Kara Farley on the show. And Dr. Kara Farley is an expert in basically COVID-19 protocol and what to do if your, your employee reports that they've been exposed to COVID-19 or one of your guests reports that they've been exposed to COVID-19 and basically what we can do to be proactive in tracing and tracking uh, these exposures and how you can protect your guests, how you can protect your employees. It's really COVID-19 best practices is what we're discussing today. And we wrap up with some hypotheticals and just kind of getting me just asking some curiosities, things I've been just wondering about regarding COVID-19. Uh, she kind of reinforced some of the the thoughts I had. Uh, I don't want to have any spoilers. I'll let you guys make your own decisions at the end. And um, here it is. Really powerful stuff. I hope you guys enjoy it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Dr. Kara Farley. Are you feeling unstoppable today? Absolutely, Eric. Yes, that is what we like to hear. So, Dr. Doctor, I don't know why I keep on saying doctor. Like, I must be from Massachusetts or something. <laughs> Dr. Kara Farley is a veteran, wife, mother of two, and physician. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic occurred on Dr. Farley's last tour as a naval flight surgeon. During that time, Dr. Farley was a lead member of the Public Health Emergency Services team, where she created and implemented the protocol protocol aimed at decreasing transmission between sailors and soldiers during her last, uh, sorry, during her transition out of the military. Did you retire by the way? Are you, are you done in the military? I'm done. Yeah. As of July 1st. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. So, uh, during her last, uh, sorry, during her transition out of the military, she realized that the civilian sector was in need of these same services that she had created for the military. And in June, she started blue ocean, which aims to give your business the tools for success during the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. And today we're basically just here to talk about uh, COVID-19, combination of best practices, your responsibilities, your liabilities, the things you should be, how you should be handling COVID-19 within your restaurant. If your guest has it, if your employee has it, and just maybe kind of debunking some myths and just talking about COVID-19 in general. Um, who knows what we're going to talk about as far as that goes, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Okay. Um, so Blue Ocean Health Services provides public health service for the community. So that's the goal of my company. I love it. Um, and you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a great service. I mean, I feel like your retirement couldn't have come at a better time. I mean, yeah, with what I, you I, were doing and what's going on in the world right now, it kind of <laughs> lined up pretty well. Um, yeah. so, um, where does it make sense to start talking today? So how, what do you think is the most important thing we address? Let's just start with who you are. I told the listeners a little bit about who you are, but why don't you like really help us round out off who we're talking to and why we should be listening to you. Okay. Um, absolutely. So I am a primary care physician um, and I've only practiced in the military. So been a military flight surgeon for the past five years. And um, it sounds a lot cooler than it actually is, but uh, basically I was primary care and I did an aviation medicine uh, fellowship. So I took care of pilots, air crew, um, all of those types of uh, people were my patients in the military. Um, so that's my background traditionally. And then obviously in March, um, everyone kind of experienced a change in all the fields that we were working in. Um, and that was no different for me. 
So our clinic went to a lot of telemedicine work, and then we went to a lot of protocols for the base because the base had to remain open, right? You know, military members don't stop going to work, still have to maintain your mission. Um, so we came up with plans and protocols to allow to do them, allow them to do that safely. Um, and we used testing in a manner that was helpful to maintain that goal. So as I was doing that, I was nearing my end of my service commitment time. Um, and my husband owns a financial company in Dallas, and he was faced with these same issues. How do I keep my employees at work? How do I keep them safe? What do I do if I have a positive employee? How am I supposed to notify people? When do I need testing? Do I need to test everybody every day? Um, so all those same questions that all businesses are dealing with right now. So I came into his office. I did a lot of teaching for his employees. Um, and then I did, I still do contact tracing for them if they have positive cases, um, telemedicine visits, all of that stuff. So about halfway through the month of May, he came home one day and said, gosh, you've just been such a huge help. My employees feel so much better at work. We feel like we are really doing the right things in our office. And he's like, I think you should do this for other people. Smart. You know, it's, yeah, he was like, it's, it's a great service. And that's honestly what I'm all about. Obviously, can, my father-in-law's yeah. got the American flag in the background. You know, speaking of service, I, I was kicking myself earlier. I said, I congratulated you on, you know, moving on from the military into the public sector. But thank you for your service uh, and what yeah. you, and I should have started with saying that. So thank you very much. And it's only natural that you continue to serve. So um, now that we kind of have an idea of who we're talking to, I, I'm actually kind of curious. You were the lead on creating these protocols, right? Like how did you, as a, a flight surgeon, how did you find yourself taking on the lead for developing these protocols? So, I mean, really, so, um, you know, if you're not familiar with the way the military works, we call it a voluntold. So <laughs> don't really volunteer for anything. It's like, hey, you, you're doing this job. Um, so that's just the way the order fell in line on base. On our base, we only had um, two physicians at our clinic and I was one of them. Okay. So it was just kind of, hey, you're here. You got to do this. Figure it out. Got you. So what were you like, kind of reflecting back at that time and without getting into too much detail, what were some of the biggest things you, you figured out early on? And we can kind of break it down as we talk about more. Yeah, I mean, I think the importance of one restructuring like the way people flow through a building was important. Um, being able to do the social distancing was important when masks come into play, um, hand washing techniques, all of those things. I think hand washing was huge. And then really the number one thing, and I'm sure we're going to continue to touch on this, is screening your people and not having them come to work sick. Mm. And it seems like an easy concept, right? Just like, hey, you're sick, stay home. Um, but when you pair that with the fact that our country has largely been shut down for the past two months and all these businesses are suffering and people want to be at work and they need to be at work because they need to make money, that kind of places confounding factors on that simple thing that should make it pretty easy to contain COVID and not spread it within the workplaces. People want to be at work. Um, and then the employer also needs their people to be at work. So I think that's where the complexity comes in. Um, and that was what was really important in the military. Like, hey, I know you're a pilot. You were supposed to fly this plane today, but you don't feel good. So we can't put you in that plane and we have to figure out other things to make that happen. Yeah, for sure. So um, when you decided that you could leverage all these, these recent skills you developed on your exit out of the military, um, I mean, how, 
where were you like, what was the plan to like, where were you going to implement this new knowledge and these skills? Like how was your approach? Are you focusing on the restaurant industry or are you just on general, all businesses right now? Um, in general, all businesses, um, I think restaurants face a unique challenge because of all the customers that come in. Um, and that places, you know, just a higher risk for the employees and those interactions that they have. Um, but I do other businesses. Um, I'd really like to help some school districts. Uh, so I have some meetings coming up for schools. Nice. I think, again, schools are, are in a unique situation as well. And it's absolutely a, a necessary service for our community so our kids can have an education. Yeah, cool. I think we got a good sense of who you are and what you got going on. I think we should just dive into the nitty gritty. So the All first right. like solid question I have for you is what are the, the restaurant owners actual liabilities? Like what are they actually responsible for? Right. Um, so that is a question I will give a, a little disclaimer here that you should individually speak to your attorney about <laughs> um, because I am not an attorney in yes. any way, shape or form. Um, but if you look at what the EEOC has put out, it's basically best practices, right? So screening your employees and we can talk about the different ways that you can possibly do that. Um, making an environment where your employees feel safe to say, hey, I don't feel good. I can't come to work, um, you know, and having those practices in place to be able to do that. So it's, it's really all best practices. Um, and then the cleaning, I think, is important. Um, I think something that comes up and, and came up in our talk um, last week was the need to report to the public. Um, so that's something I, I would recommend you speak to your attorney, but that is not legally required. You don't legally have to say, hey, our restaurant had somebody with COVID in it. Um, and we're closing for two days. That's that's honestly up to you. I think really what you're responsible for is that contact tracing and notifying those people who were in close contact with that person. Yeah. Now, if you don't have the ability to do that, then absolutely just kind of a blanket statement of, hey, if you were in our restaurant, there was someone with COVID, uh, maybe the right way to go. Repeat that that whole thought real quick. About contact tracing? Yeah, that last part there. That's what okay. Uh, yeah, so... A lot of restaurants are, and I'm sure we've all seen this in the media, um, you know, they come out and say Chick-fil-A, for example, would come out and say, hey, we had an employee that tested positive um, and they just make that statement to the public on this day. So anyone who's been here may have, may be at risk. Um, the better thing to do and the thing that the EEOC and the CDC and everybody keeps saying is contact tracing. Um, and what that means is, so let's say I'm the employee who has COVID. So that is employer would, would come to me, Kara, and say, hey, you're the one who had COVID. Who are the people that you came into close contact with? And the definition of contact tracing is within um, six feet for over 15 minutes. So those are the specific people that need to be notified that they have come into close contact um, with someone who is positive for COVID. So that was within f six feet for 15 minutes. If, if you, that, Those are the guidelines for whether or not you need to start reporting this, this sort of thing. Or, right. Or, and, yeah. and yeah, so, so let's say if it was me and you, Eric, right. To, to keep it simple. Um, so I'm the person who has COVID. Let's say we were doing this in-person interview, right. It's going to go for over 15 minutes. Um, and we were within six feet of each other. So if tomorrow I get sick and I get a rapid test and test positive for COVID, um, then 
I should tell you, but, but let's say our employer was involved, right? They would come to Eric and say, hey, you've been in contact with someone, close contact, the contact tracing was positive with someone who has COVID. <laughs> now, he doesn't have to release my name. In fact, he can't because that's against HIPAA. Um, so it's the same way kind of the reporting works for um, other diseases in the public health system. They would call the person and say, hey, you've been exposed to someone with, you know, XYZ disease. Okay. So to make sure I understand, the only time you have to, or when you should reach out to people is if they were in contact within six feet for 15 minutes with that person. Otherwise, they don't need to be contacted to let them know that they could be exposed. Correct. Cool. Um, and I should give a shout out to David Denny. You mentioned lawyers earlier and you mentioned our chat last week or earlier in the week. Um, the reason why Kara uh, is here is because of that, that, that webinar that I, I sat through that David Denny, past guest in the show, uh, hosted. So thank you very much, David. A little nod, tip of the, the hat to David for putting you on my radar and uh, happy you're here. So, um, so we kind of talked about liabilities. It kind of sounds like there really is no liability, but it's more of like an ethical thing that we need to be like, these are the best practices. Like we have a responsibility, a, civi- a, c- a civic responsibility to communicate. Agree. Um, I think, you know, there have been cases in the media, of people getting sued. Um, you know, I, I don't know if any of those have actually held any value, but I, I would say if you as a restaurant owner, as an employer are doing these best practices, the best that you can, then that's all we really can do. You, yeah. you can't mitigate all risk. You know, there is an inherent risk for COVID every time you leave your house. So, I mean, the, so I guess this, you're kind of answering the next question is like, so aside from liability, what is our social responsibility? And I kind of feel like what you just gave us is that social responsibility to be tracing and to be ch- keeping track of who's where. Um, but as far as like other best practices, what are some of the other things we need to know as far as communicating to our employees and the protocol, if this, then what, you know, like what are some of those things? Okay. Um, I mean, there are several. Um, So we can start with, I think the most important and basic one of washing your hands and washing your hands correctly. Um, So there was a study maybe 20 plus years ago that they did in the military with recruits in basic training and hand washing. Um, And they were all having a bunch of like the cold outbreak, right? Everybody was getting the cold and then they'd have to stay in the barracks for a couple of days. So they were losing a bunch of training time. So they said, all right, everybody's got to wash their hands 10 times a day. And when they implemented the hand washing um, process for the recruits, and this is no social distancing or anything like that, just hand washing, they decreased the cases by like 50%. Wow. Yeah. So hand washing is great. It's really important, um, especially for what we know about COVID, which is that it is passed through droplets and through contact. So if you're washing your hands before you touch your face, you're going to decrease a lot of that risk. So that's important that your employees know about that and know how to wash their hands, right? Because just running them underwater, (laughs) the little bit of flashes isn't going to work. It feels silly, (laughs) but like really explain, how do you wash your hands? Like what is the standard for washing your hands? I know we have placards all over restaurants, but just say it. (laughs) Right, exactly. So it's supposed to be for 20 seconds at least or more. Um, and you're supposed to get actual sudsy soap on all parts of your hands. Really play, think about cleaning under your fingernails as well in between all of your fingers. And then you are supposed to go up your wrist a little bit. Um, so that whole process should take 20 seconds at least and then rinse the water off. Um, and I know we touched on this before, but COVID is surrounded in a lipid envelope, the actual virus, which is fat. Um, so soap, if you think about pouring soap on a greasy dish in the sink, 
it breaks apart fat. So the soap itself is all you really need. Um, so, and then that brings uh, into play, when do you wash your hands versus use hand sanitizer? So in the medical community, anytime that your hands are visibly soiled, you should be using soap. Okay. Okay. If there's not visible soiling on your hands, hand sanitizer is fine. Okay. Um, so I mentioned earlier, I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit with some of like the, the myths that might be out there, but didn't the CDC mention earlier that they believe that this thing, uh, COVID-19 isn't really being transferred through, like if I have it on my hand and I touch a, a railing, um, and then five minutes goes by and somebody else touches that railing, they're saying that it's not being transmitted through touch and contact. Is that true or yeah. false? Um, I think that the verdict is still out a little bit on that. There's mixed information. Um, I would say that it's possible, but definitely less likely. So there is um, evidence to both sides, I guess. I would say that it is less likely for you to get it, like let's say a railing or a piece of mail or something like that, much less likely because every second that the virus spends on an inanimate object, it's going to degrade. Right. Okay. So if you remember that study coming out, it lasts X long on these these materials and one little tiny covid virus that you touch to your face and put in your mouth or your nose or your eye. You're ne not necessarily going to get covid just from that one tiny virus. You actually have to have a decent amount of the virus particle for you to get it. Is there a specific uh, amount? Not that we would be able to count it as it's going into our body, but like. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and that's why that's why people who are uh, less symptomatic and people who maybe have been maybe you've been exposed to before they started showing symptoms, you're less likely to get it from them because their viral load at that time is lower. So the chance of the virus being in their sneeze that touches you is less, if, if that kind of makes sense. Um so I think we're getting a little off. Yeah, we have. Here. So to bring you back on, uh, we, I, I put you there, so it's my fault. So um, to get back on track, we talked about screening. Our, re, our responsibility as restaurant owners is first and foremost screening. Um, you didn't mention your app really in that. Did you want to bring that back? To, you want to mention that now? Yeah. Yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about screening um, and different ways that you can screen your employees and when and where you want them to be screened. Okay. Um, so, Screening should definitely be done for all of your employees, ideally before they come to work. Because once they come into work with symptoms and positive, then that's where the whole contact tracing and exposure and people needing to quarantine and self-isolate comes in. Um, so ideally, they're doing it before they come to work. And so my company um, did develop an app. It's very simple. It's just got those questions that you've seen everywhere. Have you been in contact with anyone with for COVID? Has your doctor told you that you need to be self-isolating for COVID exposure? And then it's got the list of symptoms. Um, so if any of those are positive, they should be speaking with their manager, speaking with a physician before they come to work. Um, another way you can screen is with temperature checks. So there's been a lot of um, different organizations, governing organizations that have said, yes, um, I think massages, massage parlors are one of them that say that you have to use um, a thermometer for screening or temperature checks for screening. Temperature checks are, are good. Um, I think that there are a lot of issues in particular with using that. Um, like what? One is that the person's already there for one. <laughs> yeah, so the person so they came already, to work, so they're already infecting you. Right. And yeah. So they're already there. And then two, you've got who are you deciding to take the temperature check? Um, unless you're uh, a hospital or a clinic, perfect, great. I'll put my medical assistant or nurse out there. No issues because she does that on a daily basis anyways. 
she has all the trainings. She has all, you know, she already knows her risk and everything for that. But if you're a restaurant, you're putting one of your guys out there. So now that person's being in contact with every single person who comes through the building. So there's, there's another issue. So I would say if you are doing temperature checks, let people check their own temperatures, just hold it up to their forehead, write it down on the piece of paper. Um, and then the third issue with that is that um, not everybody is having a temperature, especially in the beginning phases, um, if they even spike one at all. You know, the people who are, who are getting really sick and who are having the severe complications and who are in the hospital, they are absolutely having fever. But now those, um, you know, in the beginning of COVID, a lot of the people who were getting sick were older. And I think the reason was, is we were seeing a lot of infections in nursing homes and hospitals and those kind of things. Um, whereas now we're seeing more infections in the younger population. And a lot of those younger people aren't spiking a fever. You know, they have fatigue, they have a cough, they've got a runny nose, a headache, that's it. Um, so I think the temperature checks are, are missing a lot of that. It's one symptom on the yeah. list of 15, you know, for COVID. So I guess what I'm hearing is like, they're, you know, I heard, and I'm kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but I heard that from the previous uh, webinar that I sat in on is that it, it takes approximately five days, right? Five days um, to from when you contract it to the, the symptoms to start showing. What, what is that period again? Um, so it, it can be from 24 to 14 days. Okay. Okay. So, but on average... So that, that's where the 14 day isolation came from is because there are, sorry, am I cutting out? Uh, you're, you're fine. I, I can hear you. Okay. Um, so if you've been exposed, let's say today, you know, I exposed you today, your time for contracting the virus or starting to show symptoms would be 14 days, but 95% of people show symptoms within five. Okay. Okay. So, so most people are going to show symptoms pretty early on, but there have been cases of people showing symptoms as far as 14 days from exposure. Yeah, and they might not even get a temperature. So the thing is like, they could just be like, oh, like I didn't get enough sleep last night and I'm not yep. sick. I'm just tired. Come to work, get their temperature taken, be 99 degrees and mm -hmm. they're under the radar giving everybody COVID-19. Exactly. Um, and like I said, especially in the younger population that is at lower risk for developing more symptoms and more complications, it's going to be even more likely in that um, population. And, you know, in restaurants, that's most of the people who work in restaurants are, are usually younger. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Back to the top of the conversation, uh, screening. Uh, so before going to work, uh, do you feel sick is what you should be doing? Uh, people are doing temperature check checks. What's what else in regards to screening? Um, so I think that's, those are pretty much the main two for screening before you come into work with the symptoms and then um, potentially the temperature checks at the door. And then also just having your employees really aware of their health and what's going on with them and reminding them, Hey, you know, cause you can still develop symptoms while yeah. you're at work. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so if for some reason halfway through your shift, you just start not feeling that well, you start getting chills, you start feeling feverish, just, be open and tell someone. And I think that's huge for employers to be able to create that atmosphere for their employees. So they feel safe to be able to do that. I'm going to put creating a culture of communication uh, and awareness, self-awareness. Um, mm -hmm. So what is your advice for how that conversation should look like? If we're, if we're listening to this right now and we're like, I really haven't had this conversation. I'm sure people have talked about it, but what should that conversation look like? How should we approach it? With the, with the with employees. employees. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would say, you know, at each different shift, if you want to meet with them, with all your employees, or if you want to do a Zoom call, send out an email. Um, but I think employers should say, hey, look, you know, I know we're in uncertain times right now. COVID is out there. We're reopened. Um, I want you to feel comfortable coming to me and telling me, hey, I don't feel well. I need to go see a doctor before I can come back to work. And I think I've had some employers too um, concerned about employees maybe taking advantage of this situation. Um, so to the employers, that's where I would say is really, I mean, I know it seems childish, like we used to have to do it in elementary school, but they need to have doctor's notes, you know? So you can't just say, oh, I don't feel well, I'm going to stay home today. And then I'm back tomorrow. And I didn't see a doctor. So you need to have a telemedicine visit um, to a, or a test or something saying, hey, they're cleared to come back to work. And that's whether or not they have COVID. Okay, cool. Let's take a, a first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to unpackage this a little bit more. You hear me say it all the time on the show. This industry is all about relationships and people, but even though you might be geared towards relationships and people, you still need to know your numbers. And if numbers is not your thing, I got to tell you about this book, QuickBooks for Restaurants, a bookkeeping and accounting guide by Zach Weiner. This is the back office restaurant accounting guide you've been searching for. Zach Weiner covers accounting fundamentals, including sales tracking, purchasing, bill paying, invoicing, managing day-to-day -day liabilities, gift certificate tracking, cash management, detailed reporting, and so much more. Ultimately, Zach shows owners and operators how to create the accurate financials and reporting that will enable them to make better informed data-driven decisions. To learn more and to get Zach's book, head to zachweiner.com slash unstoppable. That's Z-A-C-W-E. I N E R dot com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, if you use that link, you will save 50% off a one on one consulting call. Yeah, that's right. What are you waiting for? Okay, we're back. And what we just were talking about was this idea of how to communicate with our employees. You're saying a lot of people are taking advantage of this and that there should really be some type of like doctor's note or some way of proving that they are in fact not infected with COVID-19. Uh, that includes testing, I'm assuming. So what, are, like, what, what is the protocol for like, okay, I think I might have COVID. What should we be telling our, our employees if they think they have COVID? Like, where do they go? Like, is it straight to the hospital, okay. urgent care? Is there a self-home test? Yeah, um, there's a all of the above. Okay. Um, I would say I would not recommend going to a hospital. Um, so like a big hospital, unless they have severe complications. So difficulty breathing, you know, super high fever that's not coming down with over the counter medications. Those are reasons to go to the hospital, chest pain, any of those things, you know, and, and we focus on COVID. But of course, all of everything else that typically happens in the medical community is still occurring as well. So any of those severe symptoms where you feel like, you know, I can't breathe, my chest hurts, any of those things, you need to go to an actual ER. Um, but if you just have mild symptoms and a sore throat and, you know, maybe a 100.6 fever, then um, I think contacting your primary care physician would be great if you have one. Um, because a lot of these urgent cares, drive-through centers, they are back up. Um, you know, especially in DFW. So that that's where I'm based out of. So the test I'm seeing now like three or four days to make an appointment for a drive through test. 
is how far they're they're backed out. So um, so I would say your primary care physician if you have one. Um, if not, then absolutely one of these drive-through places. Most places um, do a drive-through if you're symptomatic, and you can come in if you're asymptomatic, meaning like I just, just want to test. Yeah, yeah, I want to test because uh, my boyfriend has COVID. You know, um, so I've been exposed and I want to get a test. So maybe I have an asymptomatic case. Um, so those people who are are asymptomatic can usually go into the office and get a test, but everybody else is a drive-through as long as they don't have severe symptoms. Um, and then there are two different types, right? There's the rapid antigen test, and then there's the the PCR swab. They're both PCRs, but a PCR swab that you would then send out to a lab. So the rapid one is available. Um, it's becoming more and more largely available. Um, I actually have an analyzer on order when I'll get it, you know, but um, everybody wants them, but a lot of places will only accept insurance. Um, and if you don't have insurance, it's like $500. And then other places only accept cash pay, no insurance, and they're like $200. Jesus. Um, yeah, so so that can be really expensive. Um, so and the, then the other... Are these oh, two ahead. tests equally effective or accurate? Correct. Okay. Yep, they're exactly the same. And this is the test uh, to see if you are... In, in, uh, or contagious, like you have it active in your system. Correct. Okay. So, so the test for actual COVID. Um, and then, yeah, the PCR is a swab that you send into the lab. And that one, depending on the area you're in, can take two to 10 days to come back. And there are uh, other tests to test for antibodies. Is it even worth getting those tests? Because we haven't proven, I guess this is kind of getting ahead too, is, is um, herd immunity even like in the play anymore? Is that even like a possibility or they, have they ruled that out? Yeah, so we can talk a, a little bit about that. Wait, let's, um, let's, put, let's put that on the back burner. Let's put that on the okay. back burner because I feel like we'll get right. way down to where I will. We're definitely going to talk <laughs> about that. Um, but so just to kind of go back to the surface real quick, we, we're talking about screening right now. Um, mm -hmm. The ways to do that are by first just like paying attention to how you feel before you go to work. How do yep. I feel? Second thing, temperatures, uh, creating culture of communication. We're like in literally having the conversation and reminding your people daily. How do you feel before you come to work? Yep. How do you feel? Do a self assessment, like and be mindful of how you feel. Hand washing is another thing we discussed. Um, anything else we haven't talked about as far as like mask? I'm sure is another huge conversation. Masks. I think masks and cleaning are the next two, right? Um, so masks. Obviously, in some areas there are mask mandates. Um, masks are useful when you cannot maintain that social distance. Okay. I mean, like if you're outside in the mountains, um, in Montana hiking, you probably don't need a mask. Um, you know, but if you're within a closed area for people for a prolonged period of time, masks can be very useful. So if you cough or sneeze, it'll keep that in instead of allowing it to spread. Um, so that, that would be a good time when masks are useful. And like I said, in some areas, masks are mandated. Now there are different types of masks, right? We've got the hospital grade masks, like the N95s. People in general do not need to wear an N95. So an N95 is actually fitted to your face um, and you have to do a little procedure in order to know if you have a correct fit. So people just going out and buying an N95 mask without the fitting um, is probably not very useful because it's supposed to actually make a complete seal. So they put you in this hood and they squirt this sugar water in there. And then you have to read all these sentences off and see if you can taste the sugar water to know if the mask is actually effective. So N95, not for the general public, um, because you may not even be wearing it correctly. So it's not yeah. being used to full potential. 
Um, and then we've got like those surgical masks. So the three ply surgical masks, those are actually the best. Um, the disposable ones. What I know they call the specifically what's the name of that mask. So they're surgical masks. Okay. So those three, those disposable three layer surgical masks are going to be the best. Um, and uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of recycling and all that kind of stuff. But um, I, I feel like in this case, I, I would recommend the disposable over the homemade cloth ones just because you can take them off and throw them away. And you're seeing a lot, a lot of people wearing like the majority of people are wearing those. Those are the cloth masks. masks. Yeah. I mean, they're better. They're better than nothing. I'll say that. Um, they're, they're probably not the best option. I would say the surgical ones are, but they're better than nothing. And the other thing about masks is, is if everyone in the room isn't wearing one, they're kind of ineffective. So I think that's a big push with these mask mandates in areas is because the masks are going to protect um, me from you, but not necessarily you from me. That makes sense. But if everybody's wearing them, then we're all protecting each other. And they're not 100%. Even the N95s in the hospital, when we're wearing them as physicians and intubating people, they're not 100%. So you've, you've dropped two specific types of masks right now. The N95, mm-hmm. which is like not really worth it because you're probably not going to do it right. The second one is a disposable three-ply. Um mm-hmm hospital masks. Any other types of masks that you'd recommend that are like worth sharing? I mean, yeah, I mean the cloth, I would say the cloth mask, you know, is there a cloth mask on the market? That's the the best in your opinion. Mm, I I'm not familiar with all the specific ones. There are so many. Um, I would recommend one that probably has multiple layers, um, you know, just not a single one. And then the important thing about the mask, if you are wearing it is that you're wearing it correctly. So uh, please don't let your nose stick out of it because yeah, <laughs> if you sneeze, then it's what pointless. About, what about my beard? Should I shave it down further? Is, <laughs> it, is it too long? Am I, is, is I it mean, I, I think it looks great on you, but yeah, that may be an area where ah, you can bacteria. Right. Um, <laughs> but I'm a fan of beard, so you know. <laughs> so, okay. Um, anything else regarding like uh, best practices? Uh, we, what about those masks, those shields that you see everybody wearing? Oh, face shields. Yeah. yeah um, great point. So um, face shields are going to protect your eyes, right? Because the virus gets in through mucous membranes. It doesn't absorb through your skin. So you have to actually put the virus into your mouth, nose, or eyes somehow. Um, So the face shields are going to protect your eyes. So in the medical community, as a physician or a medical assistant, if I go into the room with a patient, so let's say my patient was you, Eric, the Texas Medical Association is requiring that patients wear masks and doctors wear masks at least. But if you have a mask on and I have a mask on and I have a face shield on and you have COVID, let's say, oh, your test came back positive, my risk of getting it through that really close patient interaction, maybe an exam where I was listening to your heart and lungs, looking in your ears, all that kind of stuff is really, really low, low enough to where I wouldn't have to go home and quarantine. Okay. Um, so that's an important protection feature, I think, for the healthcare community, just so that we can actually stay at work and continue to treat patients. Yeah. Um, but that's also something to consider for people who are either at higher risk in the public to protect themselves more because they're, they are protecting their eyes then in their whole face or in a scenario where they are coming in closer contact with people. So we talked a little bit about um, bartenders in that scenario. And, and if that would be useful for them, because they're pretty close, you know, it's yeah. easier for a, um, a waiter or waitress to keep that six feet back from the table and, you know, just kind of set the plates down and walk away. They're not within that close distance, but a bar. Um, so yeah, we had talked about 
potentially face shields being useful for bartenders. So the, I think we, after talking about masks, we kind of covered all the, the major things, right? The, oh, cleaning. Cleaning. Sorry. Go get into it. <laughs> yeah. Um, just cleaning and we'll just basics on that. I think uh, there's a lot of different stuff out there right now, right? Um, use a CDC approved cleaning material or you can go on the website. There's a huge long list of them on what works against COVID. So use something that's on there. And my recommendation is to increase the frequency by which you clean and disinfect. So cleaning and disinfecting are two different things, um, but they both should be happening on a more frequent basis than they were before. You don't have to do necessarily do that crazy, like close down your store for four days and Scrub do the, the super. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but if you're cleaning and disinfecting on a more regular basis, then you don't have to worry as much because, oh, okay, somebody came in with COVID, which is going to happen more and more frequently as yeah. there are more cases. Um, it's okay because we clean and disinfect every day after every shift. So we're which good. Was we happening like before COVID-19, which is right. really frustrating because people are like, I don't know, not worth getting into. But um, <laughs> on that note of uh, cleaning, are there any chemicals you recommend as far as like affordability, like you know, for the best bang for your buck? Because we're going to be cleaning so often. Like what, what are the ones we should be going with? Uh, I, I honestly don't even know. Um, I, I haven't priced them out. Um, but I would, I would recommend, um, going on that CDC website. There's literally like over a hundred. Okay. I I picked up from the the webinar that I sat through, uh, David Denny's webinar, uh, that there's services out there right now that come in and kind of do like, like bombing where they just come Mm -hmm. in and like bomb the space. Is that Mm -hmm. necessary in a general sense? Probably no. There may be a particular scenario where, that is necessary if you've got multiple people with COVID in your office and they're all spreading. You're just trying to make a point. Um, I think that's one of my biggest fears. I'll, I'll save that. I'm just gonna put down biggest fears down here. So I don't forget (laughs) biggest fears. So, um, okay. I think we covered a through Z. The one question I still kind of have lingering regarding screening. Um, if we don't have your app, right. If we're not getting people to check in with their, with the app at home and communicating with the app, what is like the, the, the step-by-step like actual screening procedure as far as like um, the record keeping? Like, do you keep a sheet? Are people signing in? Like, what does that look like? We didn't really get into the details of that. Yeah. So I would recommend that absolutely you keep a record of it as an employer because that's going to prove that you've done your best practices, right? You keep a record of people cleaning the bathroom. Yeah. You know, you've got a little sign in sheet, so you need to keep a record of this. So what's that sign in so, sheet look like? Like, like, like what, what should be included in that sign in sheet? Yeah. So it, it, are you talking about specifically what should be asked? Yeah. Like, what does the sheet look like? You know, name, okay. number, like, is it just. Oh, oh four people when you're screening yeah. them. Um, so for your employees, it's so. The app that I developed makes it very easy, right? Because in that case, so the employer and the employee have different versions. The employer gets a record every day of all their employees um, and their screening and whether they passed or failed. Um, So if you were not using the app, I would say, so what I have for my companies, um, if they don't have the app or before my app was finished, is a laminated piece of paper that's posted all over the office that was also emailed to all the employees. And it has the questions at the top about your COVID exposure. So you cannot, as an employer, ask your employee if their relative or wife or husband or girlfriend, boyfriend has COVID. You can ask them if they've been exposed or in close contact with someone who has COVID. 
Um, so that's a question on there. And then a second question is, have you been told by a physician that you should self-quarantine due to exposure of COVID? So those are questions that need to be asked. And then we have um, the symptoms, right? So fever, fatigue, and fever is defined as 100.4 or higher. Okay. Okay. So just so we clarify that. So fever, fatigue, chills, shortness of breath, cough, runny nose and congestion were just added, um, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, I think I might, oh, sore throat, um, and headache are, are all on there right now. So those are the things that people need to be looking for. And the other caveat is some people have chronic migraines, some people have asthma. Um, so I think another important thing, and, and that's also on my app, is that these are new conditions that are not related to a currently diagnosed medical condition. Got you. So um, the other thing we haven't really talked about is uh, we talk, we've been talking a lot about how we're screening our employees, our relationship with our employees, how we're communicating with our employees, the, mm-hmm. the best practices as far as PPE and, and just behavioral practices to, to, to stay safe. What about screening guests? Because I've been to a few restaurants and there are people that are recommending that you're, when people come to your restaurant, they should be signing in with their contact information so we can reach out to them if there is an outbreak. Um, is there any best practices around that? Yeah, I think that's a great idea, Um, especially for restaurants since they have so many people coming in and out. And if as a restaurant, you don't want to say, hey, we had somebody, an employee with COVID and just kind of blanketly put it out in the media. um, And you want to actually notify those individual people who potentially were exposed, which is the best way to do it, right? Because then as a guest of the restaurant, I'm like, oh, yeah, I was there, but whatever. And I don't do anything. And then I show up with COVID and how many people have I infected? Versus getting a phone call saying, hey, the waiter that you had tested positive for COVID. So you, you were exposed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think having but people But even sign then, it, they don't have to get tested because it's less than 15 minutes at a time. Like the, the, the server right. would be approaching your table for like so, 30 seconds and then leaving. Correct. So it would have to be a positive contact trace. Um, so those would be the people who would need to be notified. So I would say absolutely. You, even if it's just a piece of paper, date at the top, have the people put their name um, and their phone number or name and email, you know, whichever you prefer. Um, and then maybe the time frame that they were there, have them check in and check out. And the other thing you could put with that. So one, that gives you their information for contact tracing. But two, you have that form that I just talked about, laminated and sitting up in front of it. And the hostess at the front says, hey, do you have any of these symptoms? If no, put your name and phone over here. And if you do, we'd appreciate it if you didn't come into our restaurant. Um, you know, so I think that that's a way for you to screen your customers. Ideally, um, you know, people aren't going out if they're sick, but, uh, yeah, we can get into that later. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, does your app handle both sides of that? The employee side and the, and the, uh, the guest side, or is it just the employee side? It is just going to be for employees. Okay. And if we are interested in leveraging your app, where can we go to find that? Just real quick. Um, yeah. So you can contact me. So you can go on my website. It's blueoceanhealthservices.com. Um, or you can shoot me an email. It's Dr. Farley, like D-R-F-A-R-L-E-Y at blueoceanhealthservices.com. And this is episode 731. So if you guys go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 731, I'll link to the 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 website and your contact information over there for you. Um, it's easier to remember that number, I suppose. So, um, okay. Um, one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we're going to get into some hypotheticals, some fun stuff. Cool. 
<laughs> Listen, Margin Edge people are restaurant people. They want to keep it simple. Heck, their own CEO even owns two restaurants. And to acknowledge the hardship on our industry, Margin Edge is offering their full platform free for new customers until September. To learn more, go to me.marginedge.com slash restaurant hyphen unstoppable. So what the heck is Margin Edge anyway? Margin Edge is the only restaurant management system to combine automatic invoice processing with POS and accounting integrations. This improves financial performance, visibility, and efficiency. It all starts with snapping a photo of your invoice with your smartphone. Margin Edge takes it from there. Every line item, every handwritten note is captured. Margin Edge then integrates with your POS, so each day you know everything you bought and everything you sold. Margin Edge creates a rolling POS. P&L with drill down capability and it flows effortlessly to your accounting system of choice. Additionally, Margin Edge does data entry of all your invoices, updates pricing on your inventory sheets, that's food and beverage, updates your ordering sheets, keeps your recipes prep and plated prices up to date with real time kitchen recipe viewer alerts you if prices of key ingredients have jumped determines theoretical food and beverage costs slash usage versus actual usage eliminates cutting and mailing checks you'll pay vendors straight through the platform so what are you waiting for head to me.marginedge.com slash restaurant hyphen unstoppable did you know Toast is the number one most recommended POS on Restaurant Unstoppable? I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that more than two-thirds of their employees have worked in the restaurant industry. And I'm feeling pretty confident that has something to do with their commission-free online ordering, which is a hot ticket right now, which lets guests easily order directly from restaurants for pickup or contactless delivery to keep revenue flowing during these uncertain times. They even have delivery services, which dispatches local drivers through an on-demand network to keep your community fed and revenue coming. Regardless of the reason why people are recommending Toast, I highly recommend you go check them out during this industry-wide pause. To learn more head to toasttab.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners for a limited time get one month of free pos software three months of free digital ordering tools and 50 percent off implementation to ease the impact of covid19 this is a value of one thousand dollars one more time that's toast tab dot com slash unstoppable you have to use that link to save one thousand dollars all right we're back and now we're just gonna i'm just gonna throw you through the ringer now and just ask you a bunch of questions just to have fun slash feed my own curiosity so um you mentioned earlier that you should not be broadcasting to the media or over media if somebody tested positive why um, well, not necessarily that you shouldn't, but there are better things that you could do. Just as effective and less de detrimental on your business, basically. Yeah, I would say more effective, less detrimental on your business and better for your customers. Mm -hmm. um, and and this, the caveat to this is that you have the ability to do this. Um, and that's the contact tracing, right? The contact tracing is extremely important. So because let's say that dishwasher in the back of your office is, you know, took a smoke break with, you know, uh, a guy from the front. So like a hostess, 
Um, and that person, they were, they took a 20 minute smoke break. They were out in the back and the dishwasher was positive for COVID. The hostess should be the one who should be notified because if you just come out and say, oh, well, somebody in our restaurant had COVID. She has no idea that she was personally exposed. Now, she doesn't have to know that it was the dishwasher who exposed her, but she does need to know that, hey, you specifically were the person who wasn't in close contact with them because if that is a positive contact trace, she needs to self-isolate for those 14 days to see if she starts showing symptoms or she can talk to her physician about getting a test. Got you. And these tests but, are the are the, the test. We, we covered the at-home test, right? Those are the ones that are three to $200 or no? Oh, no, we didn't talk about the at-home test okay. either. Um, yeah, so I mean, gosh, there's so many different things to test. So yes, yeah, so you can also do an at-home um, PCR swab. So I was actually on one of their websites today. I think there's a couple other companies, um, but you request a packet, they send it to you. You take the self-swab, it overnights. And then ideally it takes one to two days for your test results to pop up on your computer screen. Okay. Um, so that's absolutely a way for you to do it. You don't need a physician note. Do you need to give your name? I mean, they have to mail it to you. So they're going to know who it is. Right. And so the CDC is tracking all that and the positive cases. That's how we know how many people are positive. It, it does have to be reported to the health department. And the idea is, so contact tracing is not a new idea, right? It, it's been around forever. We have contact tracers who notify people for HIV exposure, chlamydia, all of those kind of things, other communicable diseases. Um, but in this case, we are hundreds of thousands of contact tracers short. So that's why they've been saying, hey, people need to be doing it in their place of employment so that they can notify these people. And then because let's say we didn't tell Ashley. So we didn't contact trace. We never talked to our dishwasher. We never told Ashley that she was exposed. So Ashley continues to come to work. She has no idea. And then day six, day five, she's kind of feeling fatigued. Day six, she's at work and she's like, gosh, you know what? She goes to her manager and says, I really don't feel that well. I think I have a fever. I'm going to go home and, and go to the doctor tomorrow morning. I called my doctor. I got an appointment in the morning. Okay. So now Ashley has exposed how many people right. who have come into the restaurant, for days, right? Yeah. For how, how many days? Um, the contact tracing starts 48 hours prior to symptom exposure. Okay. So for the past three or four days, she's been exposing people within the restaurant and now she's going to her doctor's office and exposing her doctor without knowing that she's been in contact with someone for, with COVID. And, you know, maybe that weekend she decided to go visit her grandma thinking, Oh, I'm doing good. I've, I've been practicing social distancing, you know? So, so you see where the trickle effect occurs there. Yeah. So that's the the really key importance of that contact tracing and, and notifying those people. Got you. Um, have we spoken about what happens if a guest tests positive for whatever reason? Are they, and they like reach out to you and say, Hey, I tested positive. What do we do if, in that scenario? Okay. So ideally you've taken a log, right? Or that person tells you, yep. Um, I was at your restaurant. Let's say they call you and tell you I was at your restaurant three days ago. And my symptoms started today. Well, I don't have to worry then, right? Because we're not within that window. Or they call you and tell you, hey, uh, sorry, I was there, but I was actually feeling bad yesterday. Um, so then those would be the Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> those yeah. would be the questions for that person. Um, who was your waiter or waitress? What table were you sitting at? You know, so then you can go back and look. Was there anyone that you were actually, it, was there someone that you actually exposed 
Um, so that, that would be the way I would go about it. Got you. Um, so now it's, it's kind of like more of like the, the hypothetical things I've, I've been hearing out there and like, okay. So one thing I've heard a bunch is that the amount of people who have been reported as being positive for COVID-19, that, that actual number is a really like horrible representation of the actual amount of people who have COVID-19. Correct. What, uh, how bad is the representation? Probably 10 times more than what's being reported. Okay. If that's true, then are the numbers for the, that, so, so say for example, um, does that affect the, the, the death rate? Are they taking these things into account? If, if there's 10, 10 times as many people as we think that have it, but everyone who's dying, we're testing, who's testing positive. Like there's a ratio there, right? So we think four, 4 million people have it and whatever many four, 400,000 people or whatever. Have died. I forget the numbers. It's been a while since I checked. Right. So you get a percentage yeah. of like about 5%, three to 5% of people who get it die or whatever the number is, the latest number. If it's actually 10 times more than that, wouldn't it be like 0.0005% of people who get it die? Is that my yeah. crazy by saying this? Cause I feel like when I say this, I get a lot of like snarks and like you are an asshole for even suggesting <laughs> that, but I'm like, it's math. It's simple math. And like, is it true is what I want to know. Um, I would say that's absolutely correct. Okay. Um, yep. Go what, ahead. What does that mean? I don't want to, cause I'm, I'm neutral. Like I, I I'm here to learn. So what does that mean for us? So I think to go back and remember because Society as a whole, I think it's confused on this, this fact, um, is that why do we close down? Why are we doing all of these things? What is the point of the mass? What is the point of the social distancing? So it is not to stop COVID. There is no way to stop COVID. If we all stayed in our house for two weeks and didn't touch anyone except for our own family members, COVID would still happen. Um, because there's a trickle effect of how people are exposed, right, within a household. You would have to do it for longer than two weeks. So the reason for doing all of all of these things is to decrease the load on and the burden on the hospitals so that we have enough beds to treat the people who have severe complications, okay? And we have enough doctors and physicians and nurses to be able to do that because what we don't want to happen is like what happened in Italy, for there to be too many people that are sick and not enough doctors and beds to care for them so that people are dying because they don't get the access to care that they need. So that is the point of all of this stuff. Okay. So I think that puts it into perspective in, in remembering that fact. So the point of all this is to decrease the burden on the hospitals. COVID is still going to be out there. COVID is still going to spread through the community. Um, and everything like that. And, and yes, I think the mortality rate is absolutely falsely elevated. It's probably much lower than what we're seeing. And there's no way to tell until the pandemic is over. We're not going to be able to have an accurate mortality rate until two years from now. When, when what, why will it be over in two years? How's that the number? How do we know it's going to be over in two years? Well, um, I guess we don't really know, but that's the hope, right? Um, and, and that's the, that's the, uh, the scenario that we, think is most likely to occur. So there, there's a lot of factors that we don't know that go into play of that. And antibodies is one of them. Um, so, so that's in order scenario for, that you just mapped out for us is assuming that herd immunity is a thing it will take two years for it to reach. 
everybody for it to, to get to, not everybody, but enough people where it can't spread. Right. Gotcha. Um, and if you look back historically on all pandemics, plagues, all those types of things, they don't last forever, right? They eventually run through the course of the population and then they go away. Yeah. Um, so most likely that's going to be what happens with COVID. The good thing is, is that it's 2020 and we're working on vaccines and there are vaccines that are already in phase three trials, which is great. Um, what does that mean that, what, for me, people like me who have no idea what phase three trial means? So phase three is towards the end. Okay. Um, How so many phase phases one, are there? I think there's three or four. Okay. I am definitely not a vaccine expert <laughs> by any means. But um, but so they have to make it through all the phases and then um, human trials as well. And then they also have to be mass produced. But vaccine would give us a way to create herd immunity, right? That That's the way vaccines work, all vaccines. So we let's say we vaccinated everybody, like, like looking at the measles and mumps, and not everybody takes to the vaccine. So you vaccinate everyone to protect those few who don't create antibodies or those few who, let's say, can't get the vaccine because they have an immune disorder or they're on chemotherapy or they're allergic to part of the vaccine. That's the point of everybody getting the vaccine. Um, so the vaccine would be ideal. Um, but if that doesn't happen, I think the, the other most likely scenario is that COVID will run its course through the population. But Spain actually just did a, a look at how the percentage of the population that has antibodies, and it's only about 5%. So they're nowhere near being close to herd immunity. Where is Spain or, in, on the spectrum of how well they're handling COVID-19? Um, so Spain had a pretty bad outbreak um, towards the beginning. I think that they're doing better now. Um, so I would say they're probably on par with the, the rest of Europe. Okay. Um, where, I mean, the, the general census out there is that America is a bunch of schmucks and we're really screwing this up. Is that true? <laughs> um, I don't, I don't think anyone really handled it. Great. Um, people took different approaches, you know, um, Sweden just really didn't do much of anything. Um, and then, how are they doing by the, what's the latest and greatest on that situation? Um, they're doing about the same as everybody else, um, which is interesting, you know, like, is it just going to run its course no matter really what we do? Um, you know, are some people are just going to be asymptomatic. Some people are going to have more severe complications. Um, I think a lot of this is, is we just don't know. Better so, question is how is their economy doing? A lot better than ours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, I think, I think that's uh that's pretty easy to answer that question. And, and, you know, three years from now, we might look back and say this was a terrible mistake to shut down the economy. Um, and we're still seeing the effects from that. Or we might say, hey, it was actually a good thing that we did it. Um, there's I mean, no way to know. In full transparency, the last thing I want to do is get everybody that's listening to the show to be like, this is a bunch of bullshit. Fuck this. Like, let's part of my language. But, you, you know, like, why are we even bothering? Like, let's just do what we want. And right. And I don't want to encourage people to, to not play nice. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, that's the last thing I want to do. But I think it's important to like one of our core values is right here on the wall next to me is challenge the status quo. Don't settle for what people tell you. Like push the envelope. Ask questions. Don't take anything for the face value. Like pull back layers. Like that's what the show is all about is pulling back the layers. So yep. I mean, I think it's important that we we do we tell the truth, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um and and that's what I do as a physician. Um, you know, I, and I'm not telling people stay inside, let's keep everything closed. I'm a huge proponent of 
the economy being open and people just taking the precautions that need to be taken. So washing your hands, wearing the mask if you can't maintain a social distance. And the number one thing is staying home if you're sick. Yeah. You know, I, absolutely. That's what we need to do as a community in order to move forward are those things. But I'm also a huge proponent of schools opening. You know, I mean, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out and said schools need to open. The detriment that we are causing to our children by keeping schools closed is much worse than COVID. Yeah. You know, and- I feel like the same thing can be said about people who've dedicated years of their life, like a majority of their life to building a business to getting to a point where they're finally like, okay, like I put the work in my business is cruising. Um, and then this happens and it's like, everyone's going to start from scratch, you know? And it's like all these years of investment to like build a business overnight, you know, commercial pilots. I'm a commercial pilot. I was a commercial pilot before this. Like all my friends I went through aviation with who are finally making it to United and JetBlue and like all these organizations that they worked their entire career to get to this point. The past 10 years of life, $200,000 worth of an education, they're laid off and furloughed for indefinitely. Who knows what the state of the aviation industry is going to be. You know what I'm saying? Like there's such a big impact from this. Um, it's scary. It absolutely is. Um, <laughs> you know, and how long are we going to see these effects for? Um, I agree with you a hundred percent. Another physician I was having a conversation with at the very beginning of COVID because that kind of has always been my mindset is let's just take the precautions. Let's stay home if you're sick and let's do these best practices and let's move forward with our economy. Um, as long as we are keeping, we are able to keep the hospitals down to a point where they're not being overloaded. Right. That, that still is the number one thing. Um, so, but we were having a conversation about this and, and I was kind of in a similar side to where you feel of, you know, look at what we're going to do to our kids by closing schools. Look at what we're doing to our economy by shutting down businesses. And she said, how can you weigh a person's life? I can do it. From COVID. <laughs> and I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but I'm sorry. But here's the thing from what I, from what I gathered, the people who are at risk, most at risk are people who are over the age of 80. The majority, isn't it like 90% of people who are dying from COVID-19 are over the age of 80. Mm-hmm. So, and I hate to say it like all, all lives were created equal, but not all lives have the same value. Because if you're old, time is money. I'm sorry. You've, you've expensed the majority of your value. And that's not a horrible thing to say. It's realistic. It's reasonable. You know, like these people to say that it's selfish and greedy to want to have the economy going. I would say it's the opposite. If you're if you want the economy to stop to save grandma, you're selfish because you don't want grandma to die or mom and dad to die. And I'm sorry, humans in general are a very greedy species where we want more and more and more. We're living what 10, 15% longer than we used to. At what point is it, is it just, we had enough. It's a part of the life cycle. People die. And I'm sorry if you're one of the people that are just unhealthy, well, I'm sorry, but those were life choices. And if you're, if you have high, if it's some people, there, there is a percentage of people who are victims to this, like who have autoimmune diseases. And I, my heart goes out to those people. It really does. I would hate to be one of those people. And I would hate to suggest anything negative, you know, like that's a real concern. And that is where our effort should be going is how can we give aid to these people to protect these people who are at the highest risk, who are at the highest risk at no other cause, but that that's just the way that we're born, right? 
there's no there's no alive there's no accountability you know for the people who are obese or have high blood pressure or any other side effect that came from poor life decisions and i'm sorry there's value you can put to that maybe i'm an asshole for saying this but i don't know this is how i feel uh, i think that's a good point um i think it's just very hard for uh for someone to say that you know, I'll, I'll, I'll bend over and take one for the team. I'll probably get some <laughs> horrible emails tomorrow, but yeah. Um, and, and it's hard for people to back that mentality, um, too, it's but, pragmatic. but, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I do, I do agree with you. You know, there, there is that population that we are concerned about people who have cancer, the people who have autoimmune Absolutely. disease. Um, and those are the people, you know, and that was kind of my thought from the beginning is why don't we just have those people quarantine and let's put in procedures and stuff in place. Let's for give those them people. billions of dollars to make sure that they can pay their bills and sustain the life they had be- before all this. Right. Correct. But it's too yeah. late for that at this point, I feel like, right. Um, right. What, what is that percentage of people who are actually at risk be- at, at, from uh, who are victims? And I'm saying victims as in they're healthy otherwise, but they have a, a, a case, a situation that is beyond their control. Yeah, I, I don't know the exact percentage. I would say it's probably small. Like taking before or after the 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 times X people we didn't take into account. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Is it point zero 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 one percent? Yeah. Um I, I honestly don't even know to be able to give you a, a reliable number, but I'm just thinking in my mind, you know, the percentage of Americans that are obese is thirty percent. Um, you know, and and in relationship to that, it's much, much, much smaller um but but i agree with you but we're kind of too late for that so i think the the best thing in the current (laughs) um the best (laughs) thing to do right now is keep the economy open get the kids back to school keep our businesses running um stay home if you're sick wash your hands wear a mask if if you're within close distance of each other and if you are one of those people who is inherently at higher risk for whatever reason, then take the extra precautions, yeah. um, you know, which, which they should be doing anyways, because you can't trust that everybody is going to follow those best practices, yeah. you know, and those are the people that should be working from home and, um, and should continue to work from home really. Um, you know, so I think that's the best thing we can, we can do. Yeah. So I, I mentioned earlier, my biggest fear was fill in the blank. I didn't want to say it, but I'll say it now. I have my note here. My, my biggest fear is that we're going to be reactive and we're going to get into this state of reactivity to, to create a sense of a safe environment, like putting up shields uh, between guests or in front of um, whatever, like all these extra things we're doing to make it feel safe. we just want to communicate that it's safe is in, in fact doing the opposite and communicating that it's not safe because we need all these things when it sounds like we don't. You're shaking your head, but that's not telling my listeners what you're saying. Right, right. Uh, so <laughs> let me make sure. Let me make sure I correctly understand what you're yeah. saying. So your biggest fear is that we are creating an environment of safety, or we're attempting to, to create an, environment. an image of safety. Mm, but it's actually not safe, or it's actually not necessary. A combination of like our like what is the one thing that we need to do? Like what's all this extra stuff that we're doing, spending money on, right? when we already don't have the money because the economy shit, this extra, right. all these extra expenditures to, to create an illusion of safety. Right. Um, I think so. 
the number one thing you can do. So I think, you know, if I closed my eyes, right. And woke up tomorrow. And if I could make every single person in the world do this is stay home if you're sick or if you've been exposed. Okay. That right there is all we need to do. You know, you could get rid of everything else. Gotcha. I, I think it's also important to wash your hands, right? Everybody should wash their hands. But um, but if we kept those people who are sick, and not everybody, right? Because we talked about that. That's not, one, it's not feasible for the economy. And two, if I get sick, if I start the quarantine as the person with COVID in my household and we wait two weeks, my husband or my son or daughter is going to come out of the quarantine with COVID, yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to expose people. So that, that two week mentality doesn't really work. But, but if you are sick and if you've been exposed to follow those guidelines and stay home, um, that's the best thing we can do. And I, I think you bring in a, a great point too, is we're creating a culture of safety, but is it really even safe? I don't know about you, but when I go someplace and I see shields and masks and sanitizer around every corner and around every rock. I'm like, that doesn't make me feel safe. That does the complete right. opposite. Like it's, it's telling people that it's not safe to go out. Right. No, I agree. Um, and I think masks, you could also make the argument, do the same thing. You know, are they creating this like false sense of security and people think, Oh, I'm fine to go out because I've got a mask on when, you know, COVID is still out there. That's why I, you know, I tell my patients and I tell people like, you as an individual have to make a decision. You know, COVID is out there. Every time you leave your house, every time you go to the grocery store, every time you go to a restaurant, when movie theaters go back open and you go to movie theaters and you go to school and you send your kids to camp, you're putting them at risk for contracting COVID. Whether or not they're wearing a mask, whether or not they're washing their hands, whether or not their shields there, these things might decrease their risk, but the risk is still there. Um, so that's a decision that you have to make as an individual. Are you going to accept that baseline risk and just continue to function as a part of the community or are you not? Yeah. Um, Kara, it's been well over an hour now and I don't want to abuse your time, but time flies. (laughs) It was really, um, interesting and eye opening, and uh, I appreciate you having this conversation and and letting me push the envelope and put you in in an awkward position to answering some of my questions. So uh, absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, so before we say goodbye, um, one last time, how can we connect with you? Oh, absolutely. Um, so my name is Dr. Kara Farley. My company is called blue ocean health services. So you can find our website online. It's blueoceanhealthservices.com. Um, or you can shoot me an email. My email is doctor. It's D-R Farley, F-A-R-Y at blueoceanhealthservices.com. Repeat your email. Long. Repeat your, <laughs> I was going to say repeat your email one more time because you did break up during that email. Okay. So say it one more time. Uh, email is D-R-F-A-R-L-E-Y. So Dr. Farley at blueoceanhealthservices.com services.com. And again, this is episode 731. So you can just go to restaurant unstoppable.com slash seven, three, one. We'll link to all that information. Um, and the only other thing I ask all my guests, who's one person you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest on the show. Who's a restaurant owner, but I know that's not your vertical. It's not your area, but I am curious, who do you think I should have on the show, um, to learn more about COVID-19 to, you know, I mean, you, you've told us so much. I don't know if I need to get another, per- but like who was like, what's one other perspective perspective or angle I'm not considering. Or maybe it was somebody who, who thinks opposite of what we're saying, who can share a different perspective or a different, does anybody come to mind? Um, 
As far as another physician, um, you know, I, I don't really have anyone there. I think it might be interesting for you to have a restaurant owner who's experienced a COVID outbreak in their restaurant and what that's felt like um, for is them. There, is there one person in particular that you think um, can speak extra well to it who handle it well? Mm. No, no, unfortunately. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, I understand. Well, thank you so much, Kara, for taking the time to come to the show to share your knowledge and the best practices. There is no questioning, my friend. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Thank you. <laughs> well, there we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you so much, Dr. Kara Farley for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge with us and some great advice in today's show, some some best practices shared with us regarding COVID-19. And I think the big takeaways from today's chat are, uh, you know, the best thing you can do is if you have any inclination of not feeling well, any thoughts that you, you might be coming down with something. Don't even take the chance. Just stay home. And the other big thing is communicating with your employees and kind of creating a culture of responsibility around COVID-19 and communicating to them that, hey, if you have any any doubts that you might be sick, the, the responsible thing to do is to go see a doctor to confirm uh, that you are clear before coming to work and you know be, even beyond that just how we conduct ourselves outside of work making sure that people understand um, that we should be taking this thing seriously uh, and the, the the more serious we take it the, the the faster we can get back to a sense of normalcy and we did talk at the end about some of the realities that myself and maybe you're struggling with of whether or not this thing is really as dangerous as we think it is. And I, I just want to make sure that I communicate to you that I'm not trying to suggest we don't play nice. I'm not trying to suggest you say, you know, screw masks, screw all these protocols. Like I, I don't, that's not the answer. Um, when I, I wear a mask, when I go out, I wear a mask when I am encountering people. The, the idea for me is this is what we have to do to, um, make sure we're all aligned. This is what the government's telling us to do. We should, we should get behind it. The, the more people that get on board with what we're being able, what we're being told to do, I feel like the more progress we're going to make. So is it frustrating? Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we don't want to backtrack. We don't want to delay the progress of opening. So I recommend, uh, you know, it's a pain in the ass. It's wearing a mask. It could be worse. You know what I'm saying? So you know, plus it, it sounds like it does have uh, an effect on the amount of people who are being um, exposed and, and and I love grandmas, so I don't want them to die. But at the same time, our economy is important. I think you guys know what I'm saying. Uh, but if you feel like shooting me some hate mail, I'll take it. Go for it. I would love to hear the perspective. All right. That's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for sticking around until next time. Peace out.